I'm Damian Bolwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, California is now driving the national surge in coronavirus. As we enter the heart of the holiday season, we are getting some good news on the pandemic. On Monday, people were getting vaccinated, albeit slowly, and Congress was racing to approve a $900 billion stimulus package to try to help businesses, schools, and everyday Americans. But the surge is real, and in particular, space at hospitals is running thin all over California. My guest is Aaron Alday, the Chronicle's lead coronavirus reporter. Aaron, thanks for joining me again. Thanks for having me again, Damien. We're talking late Monday, another big day in the coronavirus. Aaron, what is the latest? So, I mean, the latest is kind of, <laughs> I hate to say this, but it's more of the same. You know, we're just seeing um, really this this surge that seems to not, um, it's not abating. You know, we're not, it just keeps kind of going and going. Um, California is now really driving the national surge. So for a while there, you know, we were kind of trailing everybody else. It was looking like we might not get swept up in this national surge that started back in the in the fall. Um, but, you know, now we're actually the ones driving it. We are, um, you know, throughout the state, our, our case rates are higher than the national average. Um, we're just seeing a much more explosive growth than many other parts of the country, just about any other part of the country. Um, and we're just um, day to day, we're seeing more and more pressure on our hospitals, our, especially in our intensive care units. Um, and, and remarkably down in, you know, that entire Southern California and San Joaquin Valley region. So what is happening in California? We, you know, we shut down early, Aaron, obviously you were the lead reporter on that first story and there was, um, a lot of good news. And now all of a sudden to see this, what's happening? You know, I think a lot of this, we're, we're frankly not going to know what really went down until we're able to kind of take a step back and really do a lot of the science and studies after the fact to figure out where things kind of went off the rails. You know, some of the speculation now is, I mean, it really comes down to this concept of COVID fatigue, pandemic fatigue, that people are just tired. They're tired of not seeing their friends, not seeing their family. Um, it's really, really hard. I don't think we can really over overstate how hard it is for people to not be able to gather together or be told not to gather together with their families for the holidays. I mean, this is what the holidays are. Um, and it just kind of goes against everything we are as kind of a culture to to not be doing that. And I think that that's, that's really what we're seeing in these cases is that people just you know, even people who really want to do the right thing and know that it's a bad idea are kind of, you know, fudging along the lines anyway. Um, and that's where we're seeing these cases. Just a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed a woman who was infected um, at Thanksgiving. She I had a long conversation with her. She had been so careful throughout this pandemic. And for Thanksgiving, it was just she and her boyfriend, and they lived together, and then her boyfriend's father. And he is a separate household. He doesn't live with them, but he was the one that had gotten infected and infected this woman and her boyfriend. So, you know, here's this woman who's been really careful this whole time through. She works in a skilled nursing facility, understood the risks, had a very limited Thanksgiving get-together and still ended up infected. And I think we're seeing just a lot of that kind of, you know, behavior happening. And it's just, it's a real bummer. And the reason why it's taking off so much, too, is we just had going into this time period so much virus in the community, already just a lot of kind of cases. We never got those cases down to such a low level um, that we could kind of contain a surge like this early on. I think it just exploded out of our control so fast. Yeah, I have a I have a friend who is a frontline medical worker who's managed to avoid coronavirus all this time. 
but a Thanksgiving dinner with one person who turned out to be positive and be carrying the virus. And now, um, you know, they have the coronavirus and they're in quarantine. I mean, that's all it takes. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what the kind of stuff I'm hearing about. Okay, so Aaron, in today's story, and and people can read it at sfchronicle.com, you write about some of the fairly extreme measures that California is starting to take and that hospitals are starting to take. Right. So, you know, already what we're seeing kind of, especially again in that that Southern California and San Joaquin Valley regions, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of field hospitals getting set up. So field hospitals for for this purposes is, you know, tents that people put up in, in parking lots and outside of hospitals where they kind of put overflow patients. You know, we're hearing reports of just really excruciating long waits in, in emergency rooms. Um, people who require intensive care level of treatment are being held in emergency rooms and getting that kind of intensive care treatment in that setting because there's no beds for them in an ICU ward. Um, and the state itself has set up its own state-run field hospitals at four locations um, you know, all over the state and are treating a, f- a few dozen patients at those places now, and that's expected to ramp up quite a bit. Um, in the coming weeks, and also um, importing or, or reassigning um, state and national, you know, staff, including from like the Coast Guard, um, to help kind of with the staffing issues. Staffing issues are really the bigger issue now. We kind of we can keep expanding the footprint, right? Like opening up buildings and finding kind of places for alternative care. But if you don't have the doctors and the nurses and the respiratory therapists and those folks to care for these patients, and it doesn't, you know, having all the beds and all the ventilators doesn't do any good. It seems to really put the lie to this idea of letting it spread, which is is out there in the community. I hear it a lot. I know you you hear it sometimes. But even while we're fighting the spread, uh, the hospitals are, are reaching toward capacity. Yeah, no, I fully agree with you. Um, I think, you know, one of the key things with the letting it spread sort of mantra is that you would do that and let it spread among the healthier, younger population and really protect the older population. But I think we've demonstrated many times over that we really, frankly, suck at protecting our older population. Um, And you're right. I mean, this is if we're seeing this kind of spread, even with, you know, some pretty serious, you know, guidelines in place um, throughout California, it's it's horrifying to think about what we would be facing right now if we just let it go, you know, like some people kind of wanted 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 to do. And Aaron, you mentioned California counties and hospitals that are reviewing something called crisis care guidelines. What is that? Yeah, so that's sort of your worst case scenario, right? That's if you get to the point where you're so limited, especially by by in this case probably by staff that you have to start what they what they call rationing care. So you have to start looking at individual patients and making judgment calls and saying this person is not likely to survive even with all the care we provide, so we're not going to provide them with the absolute top level care. We're going to take it down a notch and we're going to we're going to give the best quality care to somebody who's next in line who has a greater chance of survival. Um and you know they actually put people in charge of making those decisions at hospitals um and it's just you know it's horrifying you don't ever want to be at a place where you're looking at any right right now you know any hospital any doctor any healthcare provider is looking at every patient and thinking I'm going to do everything that's in my power to save this person's life. And to have to do anything but that is just horrifying to even imagine. But they're, you know, these they developed these guidelines back in in the spring, um, and now what they're doing is is basically reviewing them and starting to think about what, how does that play out 
in this environment. And I mean, it's it's important to note this is happening in Southern California and the San Joaquin Valley primarily. I haven't heard of any Bay Area hospitals that are at that point. But, you know, we're all Californians. Um, and it's just for me anyway, it's wrenching to think about that happening anywhere in the state. It's such a terrifying thought. Aaron, let's take a quick break. I want to mention that for listeners that are interested in the latest information and numbers on the surge, check out our coronavirus tracker at sfchronicle.com slash COVID map. And for the latest on the immunization drive, go to sfchronicle.com slash vaccine tracker. This is Fifth and Mission. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, and I'm joined by Aaron Alday, our lead coronavirus reporter. We are talking about the latest surge that has now gone on for weeks and has uh, hospitals running out of ICU capacity. Aaron, what's the latest on Governor Newsom's stay-at-home orders? Um, Where are we at with those, and how long might they last? So we're all uh, about 98 percent of the state now resident wise is under the stay at home order. Um, Only the northern California counties are not under the stay at home order because they still have pretty good ICU capacity up there. Um, But, you know, 98 percent of the residents live in the rest of, uh, you know, these counties. Um, And they're kind of staggered as far as when they're supposed to um, expire, because it's it's the way it's set up is it's I think it's three weeks after the date you go under the stay home order is when when it's set to lift. Um, But the governor said today that he'll almost definitely be extending that order for the two regions that were the first to go under the order. So Southern California and the San Joaquin Valley, their their stay home orders are set to expire um, next week, I think December 28th. And nobody, nobody is who's watching what's going on thinks that that's a good idea. So they will, they will almost definitely be um, extended. Um, they, the governor kind of talked about some complicated metrics today for how they'll make the decision as to when, you know, that extension would be lifted. And it kind of plays into the, the state forecasts on, on ICU capacity, I think, four weeks out. So I think basically we should be in, you know, looking at these things lasting for quite some time um, after the holidays, probably through most of, if not all of the month of January. But some small sliver of the state is still not in the most extreme orders, correct? Yeah, that's the Northern California counties. Okay. Yeah, we we received some messages from people up there concerned about tourists coming up there and trying to sort of take advantage of that because it's the last place. I imagine we could see some of that. I mean, if it's that important to you to go and dine indoors somewhere, then sure, you can drive up to Wairika and <laughs> go and grab a beer up there, I guess. But personally, I'm not so inclined. <laughs> you and I watch the the graph a lot. You know, we watch the the surge. We look at the again the uh, coronavirus tracker. Is there any signs of that curve flattening? Is there any signs that that we might have reached a peak in the latest surge? Um, I don't think there's signs that we've reached the peak. We're definitely still growing. But I will say that at least from my kind of, you know, not super mathematical, because I'm just, you know, a, a journalist kind of doing some scribbling on my own. It looks like they're, we're at least seeing like a slowing down of the rate of increase. So we're still increasing. We're still seeing more cases kind of reported week after week. Um, but you know, from again, from my kind of scribbling, the the number of cases that we reported last week was somewhat less of an increase 
than what we saw the previous week, if that makes any sense. So, you know, it's possible. And, and the governor also referred to this um, on Monday that that he's that there are, is some little kind of signs that we're seeing things slow down a little bit. Um, the concern, of course, is that, you know, that could be just a freak thing. You know, maybe it's just, you know, one week and they'll pick up again. The other fear is, you know, we we saw a big surge after Thanksgiving and that kind of came about and maybe we're seeing a little bit of slowing down because that surge is now past us. But most everyone anticipates we will see a post Christmas, maybe a post New Year's surge too. So this may just be kind of a very, very temporary, not even a reprieve, but you know, a little bit of a slowing down and then we'll pick up speed again um, in a couple of weeks. But it also could be to be more optimistic, maybe a sign that shelter in place is, is starting to have an effect that that we really are kind of starting to see a little bit of a plateauing and that maybe, you know, we're approaching the worst of it and then we'll be on the other side. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that and and especially what you're hearing from the the medical experts, the the Thanksgiving bump, you know, we've we know people that that had uh events that where coronavirus spread and now we're seeing the airports are, are at least a little bit busy. Um, you're hearing about people weighing whether to see their family on Christmas. I mean, how much concern is there that people are going to get together on Christmas, uh, either in small groups or even large groups? There's a lot of concern. <laughs> um, I can't put it any more simply than that. Everybody, I mean, we don't yet have a holiday that's happened this year where we didn't see a big spike in cases after the fact. Um, I mean, we saw it after Mother's Day, we saw it after Memorial Day, and I think even Labor Day, and we saw a Halloween bump. And now we're looking at, you know, arguably one of, if not the kind of biggest get together holidays in the country, um, in the dead of winter, in the middle of, you know, more cases already kind of circulating than at any other time. So it's a riskier thing anyway. So yeah, I think all signs point to we're going to see an uptick in cases after the holidays, especially after Christmas, the question is how how big will it be, how bad will it be, and how much you know stress will that put on our hospitals, and can we kind of you know will we collapse under that, or or will we be able to to kind of make it through it? And you know that's most people are really worried that that's just going to crush Southern California, that it's just going to be too much, and that's where we're going to be dealing with as you you and I talked about this kind of crisis care and the rationing and just really kind of the nightmare situation, the thinking is we may in the Bay Area be in, in good enough shape that we won't, even even with a Christmas crush, even with all those kind of extra cases that will be, you know, stretched close to breaking point, but not quite get there. Yeah. And you didn't mention New Year's, which uh, also is probably a concern. Uh, hopefully people won't uh, celebrate too much on on uh, New Year's. Uh, yeah, I think that's what a lot of folks are hoping for. <laughs> but of course, a lot of people eager to get done with 2020. So that's we'll see. true. That's true. Maybe we can celebrate just by watching it pass. Um, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so last thing I want to ask you about, Aaron, is uh, a forecast that's in your your story. It's some modeling about 90,000 people with COVID-19 could need hospitalization by the end of January. Where does this come from? How real is it? Um, and what would it mean if it if it happened? Uh, to answer your last question, it's it's really hard to fathom what that would mean. I don't see how our hospital system would even begin to be able to keep up with that. I mean, we would need to have all of our, you know, field hospitals wide open, you know, bringing in people from other states, and we'd still see um, a lot of preventable deaths in that sort of scenario. Um, the good news is, you know, the the state that's a worst case model. The state puts out, you know, puts together these models because they kind of need to brace for 
all levels of kind of potential outcomes. Um, I don't think anybody really thinks that that's very likely to happen. That would be more than five times as many people hospitalized as what we see now, um, just in the next, you know, six weeks or so. Um, so I don't, I don't think that that's actually a real fear that, that anybody kind of perceives, but they, they do put out these, you know, they do model these things and they have to kind of prepare for that worst case. Um, and that's, you know, part of the thinking is the reason we needed to, to act now and kind of get all these things lined up is, is so that we don't actually have that outcome. And again, Aaron, you know, we talk about the end of January, the vaccines that are currently starting to be out there are not going to make a difference. Uh, to those kinds of those numbers, at least that soon, right? You know, I will say, I mean, for the most part, you're, that's correct. I will say when we talk about that sort of horrifying model of 90,000 people pay, uh, hospitalized, there is a chance, especially if we get these vaccines into those nursing homes right away, um, and we get some of those extremely vulnerable older folks um, in these nursing homes to be immunized or get the staff taking care of them to be immunized, that we could see a real payoff from that in terms of our cases, but, but definitely in terms of our hospitalizations and our death rates, you know, pretty soon. Um, I don't know that that will be something we can see in the numbers, um, or that will, it will be easy to spot, but there are certainly some folks, I mean, that's the reason why that group is prioritized is because they are the ones who are most likely to end up hospitalized or to die. Um, and so, yeah, we, we could actually see, you know, some improvements and things because of going after targeting that that particular subset of people. All right. Well, we'll end on that hopeful note. Aaron, thanks for joining me again. Thanks for having me again, Damien. Thanks to my guest today, Chronicle Health reporter Aaron Alday, to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> 